First Thessalonians chapter 2 tonight, as we continue our series in the book of First Thessalonians. Last week we began the series and we talked about the fact that this letter of Paul is written to encourage a group of Christians in the town of Thessaloniki to live their life with God at a higher volume. We take that from chapter 1, verse 8, where Paul says, For from you the message of the Lord has echoed forth. And those words, echoed forth, were used in other literature in those days to speak of the clap of a loud piece of thunder, the roar of a great throng of people. Musical instruments played at a very loud volume. And God is saying through Paul here that that you folks have lived your life at a high volume so that others could hear and see the reality of God in your life. And this book really, either from the perspective of the founders of the church, which who were the authors of this letter, Paul, Silas, and Timothy that we were introduced to last week, or whether we look at this book from the perspective of the Thessalonians, that we can learn a lot about what it means to live life at a higher volume for God. And so tonight we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, and Paul begins by saying, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, about our coming to you. It is not proven to be purposeless. Paul was concerned that as they had planted the church and the church began to grow and all of that, that As we saw last week, the opposition and the persecution and everything that was being thrown at the Thessalonians, that maybe they would throw in the towel spiritually and give up. That that maybe the intended goal for that church would never be reached. And so Paul was very concerned about that. He talks about that right up front in chapter 1 and now again in chapter 2. That that he's hoping that, that the goal of that church will be reached And that they won't turn back, but they'll keep moving forward in spite of the winds of adversity that are blowing against them. But I I wanted to pause here because I think, I, I don't want us to misunderstand what Paul is saying here. He's certainly, with the word purposeless, talking about them not reaching that ultimate goal. But let's not take the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to speak about our lives at any point being purposeless, even if the results are not what we want them or think them to be. For instance, it's not like Paul is saying, well, all the time I spent in Thessaloniki was purposeless if you guys don't follow through with your commitment. Because we know that the Bible teaches that even if the Thessalonians would turn their back on God and they would not ever achieve the goal of that church, that God would have worked in Paul's life in some way through that contact and, and Paul would be better for it. In fact, one of the principles in the Word of God is that nothing that you and I go through in life is purposeless. We may grope to find a purpose in it at that moment in life, but nothing is purposeless. Everything has a purpose. God can use anything in my life, even if that means that, that the person that I'm trying to work with or, or work on or reach or something... Maybe they're not responding. Maybe there's no great welcome and embrace of what I'm trying to be to them. 
but God can still be using that in my life. And even those painful times that we've been through in our life, God can use it all as a preparation. And that what you and I are going through now is just setting us up for something down the road in the future. So one of the things that will encourage us to continue to live our life at a high volume is realizing that whatever stage or season of life we're in, whatever we're going through, there is a purpose for it, whether we see it right at this moment or not. From God's perspective, there's reasons for it. Those reasons may be far-reaching and far beyond our scope and comprehension, but there's certainly something that God is always doing in my life through everything that I experience, and there may be other lives that He's touching at the moment. Verse 2, although we suffered earlier and were mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of much opposition. If you go back to the book of Acts, you will read about how they suffered at Philippi. At Philippi, when Paul and Silas and Timothy entered that city and began to talk to people about Jesus, the city got into an uproar. And the local officials of that city basically had uh, Paul and his friends' clothes torn off and they were beaten with rods. They were publicly disgraced and insulted because in that day and in that culture, People were not just tortured physically, they in a sense were tortured emotionally. That that when they were, when they were beaten or when they were flogged or when they were crucified, that, that people would heap insults upon them. We see this when you read about the crucifixion of Jesus in the Gospels. It wasn't enough that they nailed him to the cross, but the religious leaders and others around him would heap insults and try to disgrace him while he was hanging there. If you truly are the Son of God, come down from the cross. You saved others, you can't even save yourself. And so Paul was saying, in spite of all of that, it would have been very easy for us as the apostles of Christ to say, no more. That's it. We're not moving out any further. We're not taking the gospel to anyone else after what happened in Philippi. But he said, even after we suffered all that, we continued to move forward. A couple things. First of all, it, it reminds us that Notice at the end of verse 2, in spite of much opposition, we came to Thessalonica. There's a lot of people that have a misunderstanding that somewhere along the line, the Bible teaches that if I'm doing what I should be doing for God, and, and I'm, I'm doing what's right, there will be no opposition. When actually, more than likely, it's just the opposite, that as I break out and move forward in my walk with God and go to different levels, I'm going to probably face more opposition than I have ever faced before. So again, living life at a higher volume may mean I'm actually now, even though I'm living life at a higher volume for Christ, I'm actually facing more opposition. And I have to expect it, I have to recognize it, and then notice I have to dive into the arms of God And I have to allow God to put courage into me, to encourage me. Notice, we had the courage, verse 2, in our God in spite of much opposition. The only way they were able to leave Philippi and go to Thessalonica, not knowing what would befall them there, is because God, they were allowing him to pour his 
courage into them. Folks, you and I, if we're going to live life at a higher volume, we're going to need some courage. It takes courage to be obedient to God. It takes courage to be bold for God. It takes courage to live life at a higher volume for God. Joshua chapter 1. As the children of Israel were getting ready to go into the promised land, God told Joshua three times, Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. It's not that you're not going to face trouble. It's not that you're not going to face trial and opposition. But I will pour my courage into you. And I will continue to encourage you. You and I need to be strong and courageous in God. Especially in the days in which we live. We're living in crazy days. But we're also living in days where if we crank up the volume of our faith in God... God can use our lives to such a great impact in other people's lives. But we've got to bury ourselves, if you will, in God and in our relationship to Him and ask Him, give me courage, Lord, to keep moving forward in spite of the opposition that I face. As I thought about this principle, I thought about a story I heard a while back. One day a farmer's donkey fell down into a well. The animal cried for hours as the farmer tried to figure out what to do. Finally, he decided the animal was old and the well needed to be covered up anyway. It just wasn't worth it to retrieve the donkey. So he invited all his neighbors to come over and help him. They all grabbed a shovel and began to shovel dirt into the well. At first, the donkey realized what was happening and cried horribly. Then to everyone's amazement, he quieted down. A few shovel loads later, the farmer finally looked down into the well. He was astonished at what he saw. With each shovel of dirt that hit his back, the donkey was doing something amazing. He would shake it off and take a step up. As the farmer's neighbors continued to shovel dirt on top of the animal, he would shake it off and take a step up. Pretty soon everyone was amazed at the donkey as he stepped up over the edge of the well and happily trotted off. Folks, life is going to shovel dirt on you. All kinds of dirt. Getting out of the wells of life require us to shake it off and take a step up. Each of our trials is a stepping stone. We can get out of the deepest wells if we don't give up. So shake it off. And take a step up. That's what Paul was saying. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 2. In spite of all the suffering. That we went through at Philippi. We shook it off. And took a step up. Not knowing what we were going to face when we got to Thessalonica. We shook it off. And we took a step up. God was pouring courage into us to be able to face an uncertain future. And folks, when you and I can live at that level, our lives as Christians are going to be lived at a higher volume. Verse 3, Paul says, For the appeal we make does not come from error or impurity or with deceit. When they came to Thessalonica, they appealed to those that lived there. And that word reminds us that God wants us to respond to Him. He, in a sense, is always the initiator. He's the one who gives us His word by revelation. And 
asks us and calls upon us to respond. I am firmly convinced that if you and I are going to live at a higher level for God, that every time we are exposed to the Bible, we need to respond. And In fact, we will respond whether we believe we're responding or not. If there's no response, that's a response. And so every time we hear the Word of God in our lives, every time we open up the Bible, God is in a sense appealing to us. He is calling upon us to respond in some fashion or some way to what he is saying to us. And that's no different tonight. God is speaking to you and I in some way. He wants to encourage. He wants to refresh. He wants to instruct. But in some way, God is appealing to all of us. Child, respond to me as I reach out to you with my word. Notice also... That if we're going to be effective in reaching Christ into the lives of others, Paul says, I want you to be reminded, and you know this, he says, that our message was not false. It did not come from error. There was a lot of error, a lot of false teaching, a lot of false stuff going on around Thessalonica. But Paul was bringing the truth to these people. And it's important that we bring the truth to to people Because as Jesus said, you will know the truth, John 8, 32, and the truth will set you free. And it's important that when we share Christ and we share his message, that we are sharing truth. Notice also, his motives were not impure. It's not just what we do, it's why we do it. And so he said, the appeal we made does not come from error or impurity or finally deceit. Not only was the message not false, the motives not impure, but the methods were not deceptive. Paul and his fellow comrades did not practice a bait and switch where they tried to get the Thessalonians to a place and then spring them on them something. And go, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. They were very upfront, very transparent. They made sure that they knew this is what it's all about, folks. And if you and I are going to be effective at living our lives at a higher volume and gaining the respect and the trust and the confidence of those who don't know Christ yet, we need to speak the truth in love. We need to make sure that we check our motives for why we do what we do. That we're not trying to be manipulative in any way. And we need to make sure that our methods are not deceptive in any way. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we declare it. Notice Paul in verse 4 is saying that we are tested before we are trusted. That's the way God works. He will put his children through tests to see if they are able to handle the responsibility before he gives it to them. Tested, approved, put through the fire before we were entrusted. As I've said before, the Bible is very clear about this. God wants to give us more responsibility in his kingdom. But if we prove that we can't even handle what we've already got, then he's not going to give us any more. But when we show that we are faithful to what he's already given us, then God will very willingly 
and very graciously give us more to be in charge of and more to manage because he wants us to manage more and more. It's one of the ways that we grow. It's one of the ways that we learn to depend upon him more and strengthen our faith. So God wants to give you more into your lives to manage. But he's also saying, but I want to see how you're doing right here with what you've already got. Before we can be trusted, we are tested. You go through all the Bible and you see this pattern. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And before God finally said, okay, Abraham, you're my guy. You're the guy I'm going to start this nation with. What did he do? He said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your one and your only son, and I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him there. And the Bible even uses the word test. God tested Abraham. He wanted to see, would Abraham's faith be able to get him up to that mountain with knife in hand and son in tow? The one, the only son, the son through whom God's promise would come. The son through whom we realize, if you study the book of Genesis, that the very first time the word love is used in the Bible, it is used in connection with Abraham loved his son Isaac. First time the word love is ever used in the Bible. And I personally believe that the reason why God tested him here is because maybe, just maybe, Abraham was beginning to put his son Isaac above his own relationship with God. And God said, if you're going to be the leader of my people, you can have no gods before me. You can have no idols before me. You can have no one before me. Even your son Isaac that you love very much cannot come before me. Abraham, are you willing to take your son up to that mountain? And And, and you know the story. He didn't actually have to sacrifice his son. He just had to pass the test and show God that he was willing to sacrifice his son. Many times God knows our hearts and we don't actually have to go through and follow through with what God may be calling us to. He just wants to see in our heart of hearts, are we willing to obey him? Tested before we're trusted. Folks, Sunday, I'm going to be speaking as part of the Proverbs series on relationships and finding the right people in your life and on friendships. And this same principle you're going to hear again on Sunday about how do I find the right people in my life? Because before I trust them, they've got to be tested. And too often, people just automatically just trust other people and put them close in their life and allow them to shape and influence them without them having been tested in any way. Very unwise in relationships to trust somebody before they're tested in some way. God is the same way with us. And then notice... Another way to live life at a higher volume is ultimately to be a God-pleaser, verse 4, rather than a people-pleaser. He says, and so we declare it not to please people, but God who examines our hearts. Now listen, many times when we are pleasing God, we're able to please other people. But there are going to come those times in our life where we're going to have to choose. Am I going to please people? Or am I going to please God? Because sometimes, sometimes it's going to be mutually exclusive. Sometimes there's no way I'm going to be able to please God and please this person over here. And if I'm going to live my life at a high volume for Christ, I've got to learn to please God, number one, and put him number one in my life. And not be trying to go around. In fact, 
I don't know whether you've discovered this yet or not, but a while ago I discovered that I could try to please everybody in my life, which ended up in nothing but frustration because the more sometimes you try to please everybody, the less you do. So then you, you and I should get to the point where we're like, you know what? I'm just not living that way anymore. I'm just going to do what God wants me to do. And that's what Paul is saying here. Verse 5. For we never appeared with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. In Paul's day, people like Paul that would travel around and articulate theology and supposed messages from God, one of the tactics that they would always use is flattery. That's how they would get crowds. Hey, we're going to tell you what you want to hear, and we're going to flatter you. Paul said, when we came to Thessalonica, we didn't use flattery. Again, we weren't deceptive. We wanted to be upfront and straightforward with you. And we didn't do it as a pretext for greed. We weren't trying to pat our pockets. We weren't trying to build our kingdom here. We were just trying to reach you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice in the middle of verse 5, he says, As you know. In order for the Thessalonians to know Paul and his associates as well as they did, that meant the walls had to come down in Paul's life. That meant he had to allow those people to get close to him. Folks, we can impress people from a distance, but we're only going to impact them up close. And if we never get to a point in our life where it's risky, oh, no doubt about it, relationships are risky. Relationships are mysterious. There are no guarantees with relationships. But just like Paul, what I suffered in Philippi would not discourage me from coming to Thessalonica. And many times in our life, what happens is we get burned and hurt by human beings. And then the walls go up to the point we say, never again. I'm never going to hurt that, that much again. I'm never going to open myself up anymore. The walls are going up and I'm never going to allow anybody to get close. Now listen, there's no guarantees That if you let down those walls, that you won't get hurt again. But the message of the Bible is simply this. That if we don't learn to get past that hurt and to move on and give love and relationships and all of that another chance, we're going to miss out on some, some relationships in our lives that could send our life on a whole different trajectory for good if we're not willing to allow some people, again, We've got to be careful, tested before trusted, but some people to get close to us. Because we may impress them from a distance. They may be able to look at us and go, well, they they look like they're a dynamic Christian and love the Lord and whatever. But the only way we're truly going to touch their heart and touch their life is when we allow others to get a little bit closer to us, to see what we're really made of and what we really struggle with. And that we don't have it all together. But we, with God, are working through these things. And they begin to see our humanity and our struggles. And yes, our spirituality and all of it together. And as they get to know us, that's where the impact is made. Verse 6. Nor to seek glory from people, either from you or others. Folks, they were not looking for cheering crowds when they came to Thessalonica. They were looking for changed lives. It wasn't about Paul and Silas and Timothy coming into Thessalonica and packing out some big stadium and saying, see all the people that came to see us? That's not what it was about. It wasn't about honor and glory from people. 
It wasn't about them coming to Thessalonica so that when they would leave, everybody would say, oh, wasn't Paul and Silas and Timothy such great guys? It was about seeing God work in their lives. That's what it was all about. And if you and I are going to live at a high volume for Christ, we got to check our motives. we got to make sure that what we're doing and what we're involved in, even if it's in church, even if it's spiritual, isn't so people get to see me, isn't so that I get elevated, but it's so Christ gets elevated and so God works in other people's lives. That's what it's all about. Verse 7, notice he goes on to say, although we could have imposed our weight as apostles of Christ, instead we became little children among you. He's simply saying again, when we came to Thessalonica, we didn't throw our weight around as apostles. They didn't come into the city. Now you know who we are, right? You're you're really glad that we're here, right? Because we are the apostles of Christ. In fact, as I thought about this, even though it doesn't fit because it's a female word, that they weren't like apostolic divas who came into Thessalonica and said, wait on us hand and foot. We are the apostles of Christ. Aren't you lucky to have us in your city? Now get us a jar of M&Ms with only green M&Ms in it and, and, and make sure that our footsie tootsies get washed and all that kind of stuff. That wasn't that at all. They weren't going to be a weight on the Thessalonians. You see, they wanted to come into Thessalonica and be a blessing, not a burden. If you and I are going to live life at a high volume for Christ and be used by God to impact other people's lives, certainly it's not going to be when other people think that we are a weight in their life. When they see us coming and we sort of, I'm going the other way. Yeah, okay. You know, when we try to avoid them because every time we talk to them and every time we spend time with them, we leave as if we've got extra weight around us. Now, please, hear my heart. I'm not saying that there's not times in the Bible that we are called upon as Christians and just as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to bear one another's burdens. Absolutely. But I think you know what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the weight of beyond that where these people aren't trying to share a burden with me they're just very presence in the way they carry themselves their expectations are burdens and weights to us paul says we did not behave that way in fact he said notice when we came we humbled ourselves like little children We wanted you to know that we're just as needy for God as you all are. And then he uses a maternal term. He says, like nursing mothers caring for their own children, that's the way we behaved when we came to you. We truly cared for you, and because of that, we gained your confidence. As Paul goes on to say in verse 8, with such affection for you, we were happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Others will not care how much we know until they know how much we care. Others will not care how much you and I know until they know how much we care. So Paul says, here's how I lived my life at a high volume when I came to Thessalonica. I loved those people. I cared for them. That's what I did. And they eventually realized, hey, he's not just here just to to get famous. He's not just here to to get a crowd or whatever. He truly cares about us and loves us. And that's important. 
Notice also that he goes on in verse 8 to say that you had become dear to us. You see, those who were alienated and outcasts were able to find their identity in this new family. This new family of God that was forming in Thessalonica. Because again, one of the pressures that was happening here on these people is they were losing family. They were losing friends because of their faith in Christ. And Paul says, one of the reasons why it was so important that when we came there, we loved on you folks is because you lost some relationships because of your faith in Christ. And and we didn't want you to feel like you were going to go through life all alone. That we were going to stand with you. It's important for you and I to know that there are people who will stand with us through the trials of life. It's important that people know that we will stand with them through the trials that they are going through as well. Verse 9. For you recall, brothers and sisters, our toil and drudgery by working night and day so as not to impose a burden on any of you. Paul is simply saying we were not there to exploit our relationship with you. We didn't want to be a burden. We didn't want to be an economic weight around you. So we made sure that we did everything we could to lighten the load rather than to put more of a load on you. You know, there's a lot I could say right now about political things, but I'm not. Because in a couple weeks out of Proverbs, I'm speaking on the mouth. And there's a time to restrain our words. So we will. But there are times in our life where at all levels of society, instead of lightening the load of our lives, sometimes the actions and choices that people make and authority over us actually cause us to carry around a heavier load. Paul said that's not what we were there for. In fact, it was through our work ethic and how we worked and conducted ourselves that the message of God came through loud and clear. It wasn't just about calling us to our church and preaching to you on a Sunday. It was about preaching to you, in a sense, through the way we were living our lives and by you seeing our work ethic and how hard we worked night and day. And our lives were as big a sermon in Thessalonica as anything we could ever say when we opened up our Bibles. Verse 10. You are witnesses and so is God as to how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was toward you who believe. Because spiritual results and character cannot be separated from one another. They just can't. God is looking for Christians of character, of integrity, who are trustworthy in order to live life at a higher volume. And if we want to see spiritual results in our life, if we want to see God work in our lives and through our lives at a higher volume, one of the things that we need to focus on is allowing God to continue to build our character in our lives. Verse 11, as you know, we treated each one of you as a father treats his own children. Earlier on, he used the maternal concept now he's using the paternal concept 
And in that culture, two things a father was to do in the home. One was to be a living example to their children. That it wasn't just do as I say, but that I as a father in that culture was to do it and that my children would learn as much by what they were catching as much as what I was teaching. As I say often, faith is caught more than taught. And so Paul is saying, we were a living example to you. And the other responsibility of a father in that culture was they were the ones responsible in the household to teach their children moral instruction, which implies they need to have a moral code by which they are living because how can I pass on to my children or others something that I don't even know what I believe and why I believe it and what kind of moral standards or code I'm living by? And Paul said, that's who we were in Thessalonica. We were like a father to you. We were a living example, and we took time to teach you folks the morality that God was laying down for all of us as his children. Notice verse 12, exhorting and encouraging you and insisting that you live in a way worthy of God. They were to persuade these folks to a certain type of action. Yes, our lives are to be lived at a high volume so that our lives can be persuasive. So that when we do open up our mouths, there's weight behind our words. We are able to persuade others to the life that we are living because of not just what we say, but by how we live. And notice Paul is calling them and calling us and calling everybody to live a life worthy of God. He's reminding us that if we're going to live life at a higher volume for God, we've got to be reminded of the privilege and responsibility of being a child of God. When I think of this, I go back because I grew up playing sports. And I think about like the great sports franchises. The franchises that their uniform alone carries with it weight that even players who play on other teams, that when they're traded to those teams and they're able to put on that uniform that has such a history and tradition of winning and excellence, that they raise the level of how they play because they don't want to be the one in that chain of tradition that somehow diminishes putting on that particular uniform. Folks, We put on the uniform of the Christian every day. We follow in the tradition of Abraham, of Moses, of Ruth and Esther and Mary, of David, of Daniel, of Joseph, of Paul and Peter. Folks, we follow in an unbelievable tradition of people down through history who put on the uniform of Jesus Christ And wore it all their lives with honor and pride to the point where many of them gave up their physical life for that uniform. And we are called upon to realize every day to never go out of our house and put on the uniform of Christ in a way that would would bring disrepair to that uniform. To cause disparaging remarks to come to that uniform. But to live in a way worthy of God. 
Notice he goes on to say in verse 12, because this God has called us to his own kingdom and his glory. Folks, the reason why I can wear this uniform proudly and know that it is a privilege and yet a great responsibility is, is because, and how I can face every day and shake it off and step up is because God has called me to his kingdom and glory. And one day, in spite of the dirt that's being heaped on me, in spite of the people in my life that might be trying to bury me alive, God has called me to his kingdom and his glory. And I will reign with Christ forever and ever. One day the gates and doors, Psalm 24 said, of his kingdom will be opened and the king of glory will come in. And you and I will be a part of that forever kingdom. Don't forget that tomorrow as you walk out the door. No wonder Paul says then in verse 13 that he wants to just continually live a life of praise. There's a lot to praise God for. And he says, and so too, we constantly thank God that when you received God's message that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human message, but as it truly is, God's message which is at work among you who believe. You see, there's a uniqueness about God's message. It's unlike any other message or book that's ever been written. Because it's not from man, it's from God. And, And the reason why it's so unique is because God's message can get to a level in our lives, that no other human book, no other human words, nothing can get to. The, the, The Bible even says that God's Word can penetrate into the innermost, deepest recesses of my being, into my soul, and it can get to places that no other human book, no other human message, no other human set of words can ever penetrate to that level. And when I receive it and I embrace it and I allow God's word to get into my life in that way, it begins to work in my life, verse 13. Because don't miss the fact that our faith in this message is what unlocks the working of God in and through our lives. Don't miss that. That's an important principle in this passage. That God's message is at work among you who believe. If I don't believe in the Word, if I don't believe in the message that God is giving me, then it won't be able to work in my life. It is the faith in that Word that unlocks its working in my life. That's why I can know something in my head, but if I don't believe it in my heart, it doesn't make a difference in my life. And that's why there are many people and Christians who know a lot about the Bible and they can quote Bible verses and all of that, but it's not making a difference in their life because they've never got to a place where they really believe it and trust it and put their confidence in it. But that's what unlocks the working of God in our lives. Verse 14. In verses 14 through 16, He basically says, here's another reason why you folks were able to live life at a higher volume. You were willing to suffer for your faith. For you became imitators, brothers and sisters of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Because you too suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they in fact did from the Jews. And then he goes on and basically says, and there's coming a day where those who hinder the work of God in other people's lives, are going to be dealt with severely. It's one thing not to want God in my life. It's another thing to be an instrument to try to hinder the work of God in someone else's life. And Paul said to those folks, beware. 
But the reason why the Thessalonians were able to echo forth the message is because they were willing to suffer for it. Sometimes we want a convenient faith. We want a comfortable faith. We're willing to trust God and believe in God as long as everything's going well in my life and I'm not facing any heat, I'm not facing any opposition, I'm not getting any dirt shoveled on me. But when you and I live life at a higher volume, it's during those times where the dirt is being shoveled on us that people look into that well and think that they're going to see a given up dead donkey and we just shake it off and step up. Verse 17. Living life at a higher volume means that we are willing to allow God to knit our hearts together with others. Because Paul says, yeah, we're separated from you folks physically now, have been for a short time in presence, but never in affection. And that's what made us want to all the more see you face to face again. Because when we were there, God knit our hearts together. Folks, the people in our lives, throughout our lives, that are going to make the biggest impact on us for Christ and that we're going to make the biggest impact on their lives for Christ are those that we allow God to knit our hearts together. That even when we're separated from them physically, they're always on our minds. We can't forget about them. We we can't. They're always there. They're always in the forefront of our prayer life and our thinking. Who are those people in your life that God either has or is beginning to knit your hearts together and bind you together in the love of Christ and say, you know what? We're walking through this life together. Neither one of us are going to be ever alone again. We're going to do this thing together. And if they start to shovel dirt on top of us, then we'll shake it off and step up together. But our hearts are together. Verse 18, we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, in fact, tried again and again. Paul planned time after time to try to physically get to Thessalonica. But notice what he says. Satan thwarted us. Folks, spiritual warfare is real. The word thwarted there is a military term. It was used in Paul's day to speak of an army that would blow up a bridge or a road so that the army couldn't pass. And in a sense, that's exactly what the devil did. Remember, too, the name devil means one who comes between. And the devil will seek to come between you and your God, you and your spouse, you and your children, you and your parents, you and your friends, church leaders, church founders, and their congregations. He will always seek to drive a wedge and keep us apart because he knows the dynamic that when we get together and truly love on each other and encourage each other, what we can do together. So Satan thwarted them. And sometimes we look at that and we go, God, why? Why did you allow Satan to keep them apart? Paul doesn't say. He doesn't even tell us how Satan did it. But here's what I do know. The scriptures teach that whatever God allows Satan to do for a time, that God's purposes are ultimately never thwarted. That God always has the last word. 
that God is never frustrated by the activity of Satan. That God is not up there in heaven on his throne, wringing his hands, going, my goodness, that Satan's got me on the run. I just don't know what I'm going to do. That God is the King of kings and Lord of lords who is always absolutely in complete control. And if he allows Satan to thwart us in any way, to keep us from moving forward some way, that it's, again, there's a purpose for it. And that God's ultimate purposes will never be frustrated by the activity of Satan. My friends, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And when you and I live life at a higher volume, you can expect Satan's not just going to roll out the red carpet and say, well, Jeff, come on up. He's going to throw everything in the kitchen sink in our way. And maybe even in that, there is a test. Am I going to shake it off and step up when even my spiritual enemy, Satan himself, tries to shovel dirt on my back? And discourage me. Verses 19 and 20 as we close tonight. Paul says, For who is our hope or joy or crown to boast of before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not, of course, you? For you are our glory and joy. Don't miss what Paul's saying, folks. When all is said and done in our lives, We're dead, and we're with Jesus in heaven. The thing that's going to be the lasting legacy and reward of our lives on earth are the lives that we have touched for Jesus Christ. The lives that we have impacted for Jesus Christ. When all is said and done, that's going to be our legacy and reward. Many times we think of reward in heaven and what we're going to leave behind with so many other things. But the Bible is clear. There are only two things that you and I come in contact with on this side of heaven that are eternal. The Bible, which is the eternal word of God, and people. That's it. So that every minute you spend investing your life in the Bible, that's an eternal investment. That would be Jesus saying, you're laying up treasure in heaven, not on earth. And every time you and I use our lives to positively impact another person's life in this world, that's an eternal investment as well. And when you and I get to heaven one day, the greatest reward of our life, the greatest legacy of our lives, will be looking around heaven seeing the lives of those that we have touched in some way for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Last Tuesday, a week ago, a gal that comes to Cornerstone, 54 years of age, pretty young, died suddenly. I had her funeral on Saturday down here at Valley of the Sun Mortuary. Folks, none of us know when our last day on this earth is. But one thing we do know that the Bible teaches. Life is a gift. Life is fragile. And one of the greatest blessings of life are the relationships and lives that we touch along the way. Don't miss what Paul says to the Thessalonians. He says, guys and gals, when I get to heaven 
and I stand there in the presence of the one who died for me, the greatest joy for me will be looking around the streets of heaven, seeing those people from Thessalonica there because we started that church and we invested our lives. I just want to take this moment to tell each of you, it's great to be together with you all every Tuesday. You don't know what an encouragement and blessing you are to me when I see your faces every Tuesday. But you know what's going to be even better than that? Is one day when we're in heaven and we can look around and we can say, weren't those Tuesday nights at the mine really cool? Folks, I want you to know, I would have to echo what Paul has said. Since God has brought me to Cornerstone four years ago, you are my glory and my joy. You are why I do what I do. Thank you so much. Listen, folks, tomorrow, someone in your life or Satan or some demonic force They try to shovel some dirt on your back. Don't forget the story of the donkey in the well. Shake it off and step up. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for the courage that you give us in spite of the opposition that we face. Thank you for your word that works in our lives if we believe it. And God, thank you for these folks who have such a hunger to grow and to learn and to study the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, not just for what you're doing in their lives, but, Lord, for the influence that they are, even in our own church and around this community. There's not many places that I can go in this area that I don't hear some kind of story about the mine and someone telling me about this Bible study over at Cornerstone on Tuesday. And folks, that has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with these folks who are willing to take what's happening here and take it out and echo it forth and sound it out to others and share with them what you're doing in their lives. Because, Lord, to me, there's nothing better than to get people excited about what God could do in their life when they hear what God's doing in our lives. So, God, use us this week and help us to move forward with courage in spite of the opposition that we face. Give us boldness, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for these wonderful folks who one day, Lord, it won't be an auditorium in Chandler, Arizona. It will be streets of gold. It will be doors of pearl. It will be the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And it will be all of us standing there together, worshiping and praising the Lamb of God who is worthy and remembering these days down here that helped us get through. God, thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you. Have a great week. See you next week.